Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Dyslexia Mom Boss Podcast, the show that helps you not only feel empowered and knowledgeable, but confident and a boss mom in the dyslexia journey. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren. All right. Hello and welcome back to the Dyslexia Mom Boss podcast. I am Dr. Lauren and today I have a guest who is a mom and an advocate. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks so much, Dr. Lauren. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm a parent. I have two kids, but one of my children has some learning differences and one of my children is more neurotypical. And I guess I'm an educational consultant and an advocate and I help families with students who have all types of learning disabilities and differences and neurodiversity. Yes, yes. Help them with their educational journey, kind of help them find the right fit or help them with advocacy in their public or private school. Right. And you know, Stephanie, the more I think about it, you're the second mom because I have interviewed another mom who's a former client who was also a special ed advocate as well. But you are based out of Maryland and we're both in Maryland. So if anyone here is listening, and I know we'll touch on this at the end, but Stephanie is in Maryland and the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area is pretty huge. So why don't we start off with the first question? So those of you who are avid listeners, you know that I ask the same four questions to moms that are being interviewed. And a lot of the reason is it boils down to my own personal research. I like to know what the themes are. I like to know, like, what is the commonality between parents fighting for their kids' educational rights? And what is it that we can do to move the needle? So can you maybe summarize your child's disability journey? Like, what word do you feel like really summarized what you went through to get your child's services and where they are today? So in terms of, like, my own child, I would say it's called a journey. <laughs> yeah. Definitely a journey. It was you know, definitely challenging to help him find the right school environment. We tried a different number of different educational options. We he was in private school. He was in uh, we homeschooled for four and a half years. Oh wow! He was in public school. You know, he's sixteen at this point, turning seventeen soon. So we've been on this journey for a long time. As like a professional in this field, I say you know I got into this work just you know I wanted to help other parents, but I would say like helping would be like my word in terms of my work. Definitely, definitely. No. And I think you have that parent and that professional hat, which I think is so valuable and is a huge asset to anybody that's really listening to this who wants to connect with you after this episode. So can you actually delve in? Because I know that you have shared that your son doesn't necessarily have a language-based learning difference, but there are other disabilities. So what was that journey like for you? I mean, I know you gave us a quick little summary saying you homeschooled and all of those different avenues, but what was that journey like getting the diagnosis? When did you enter your advocacy work? Was it in the middle of this? Please share your story. Sure, thanks. I have a background as a teacher, so I'm very, you know, traditional education. I feel like I got a good education as a teacher, but in some respect, for neurotypical kids, I was an 
elementary teacher when I started out. I was an ESOL teacher, so mm. English for speakers in other languages. So I did that, but I really had no understanding of learning differences, learning right. abilities, anything like that. So I'll say, like, when I had my son, he also happens to be gifted. He's what's called twice exceptional, gifted with these learning differences. So mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about giftedness. I didn't know anything about learning disabilities. I didn't know anything about that world at all, even though I had this strong background as an educator. So when I had my son, it was like, I don't know. I had this strong education background with like no knowledge of how to help him. Right. (laughs) It was hard. It was really, really hard. It was agonizing, really, um, as a parent, just not knowing what to do with my child and what would be the right school fit. You know, he went to private school, which I thought would be a good option for him because he was advanced um, learner he was reading when he was two. Oh so, wow wow was, you know I know that you know a lot of kids on podcasts are have dyslexia so I know that's not so typical right I mean it presents itself as a difficulty right when you're trying to find a school when your child is really advanced in that way exactly and he also has these other challenges which we didn't really recognize because gifted students actually that giftedness can actually mask disabilities we had no idea that he had disabilities we knew he was gifted from like very young age we did not know he had all these other challenges, which he, he actually has on autism, ADHD, like, like severe ADHD, anxiety. Uh, one, the anxiety and depression came later uh-huh. because I don't think he was served very well. So right. It's been really, really hard. Right. And I actually appreciate your sharing that even though most of the moms that are tuning in and that have been interviewed, their child probably wasn't reading it too. But like you said, it presents other challenges. And not a lot of people immediately think, like you said, you feel like you were pretty prepared as a teacher, but you had no idea what these disabilities were. What do people say when you say, oh, my kid is reading it too? People don't automatically say, oh, send them to this school. You know, oh, this is what these teachers would do. I always say teaching and also parenting, it's really a moving target. So you never really know exactly, is this working? Is it not working? We have to wait a little bit longer to see if this is working. Is this the right environment? And then, as you said, the depression and anxiety came later. And I have an older daughter who's now in college, but you know she suffered from anxiety and depression. And it's just interesting to see, especially in my own professional career, the developmental ages of when things can start to have that onset. And it could be environmental. It could be brain chemistry is wired or, or if that is something that is genetic. I just find all of that to be, like you said in the beginning, it's such a journey. You're constantly figuring out what works for my child. So where's your son now? Is he in public school, private school? Right, so he's currently in public school. So he's okay. um, in STEM magnet program. Oh, great. Which we continually work on, like right. advocate for him every single day. Right, <laughs> right. So yeah, it's still, you know, it's 16 and almost 17. It's still really challenging, I would say. Right. Know, I have all this background now. It's different. It's definitely different. Stephanie, when did you start your advocacy journey? Obviously, he was your motivation, but when did you start that? When did you leave the classroom? You know, I've been tutored like tutoring sort of my whole my whole career, my whole journey, but I really was more in the public school system at least. I was in some private school. That was mostly before I had kids. But I know I've been continuing to, you know, educate families in other capacities, you know, in different ways. So really, I was really trying to help my own son navigate 
what to do about his education because he was miserable. He started having meltdowns in school. And we're like, actually, a lot of people don't really understand the whole gift of peace and how it actually it can be really a challenge. I mean, it definitely has benefits, but, you know, he, they told him he needs to skip a grade mm. in a private school. And that was a really bad decision for him. <laughs> so right. He moved to, uh, he moved up a grade. That's when the meltdown started. And that's when we couldn't, because he was just too advanced for the other class. And it was their idea. I see. And it was a horrible experience. He was just melting down every day and emotional regulation was mm-hmm. really, really difficult. He couldn't really relate to his peers in that setting. And they couldn't help him really in the lower grade. So socially, emotionally, he was really having a hard time. And that didn't work out. So then I said, you know, we moved to homeschooling. I thought it was temporary. Right. <laughs> it ended up being a long time because I kept looking at schools. I kind of like, okay, well, maybe this school or maybe this magnet program or maybe this right. program or whatever. I just couldn't find the right placement. So I just kept homeschooling him. That's kind of my journey professionally. It's like, I mean, it was a personal journey. It was turned into a professional journey because I looked at so many schools and so many different school options for him because nothing really fit him. So I learned a lot about different schools and I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting, but nothing really fit him. So he stayed homeschooling for a long time. And then once he hit sixth grade in our public school, a, um, a STEM management program spot opened up for him. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then I had to fight for him to have an IT. Right. <laughs> he got an IT, and then we were continually advocating for him throughout this process. Wow. Right now. Yeah. So it definitely sounds like your son's journey kind of drew you into a different career path, even though it's still education. But like you said, it's personal. And now it's like really personal when you're working with families, I can assume, because you know what they're going through. You know, you can have that emotional, like, I get it. Let's just hang in there a little longer. And I feel like that's the beauty of advocacy work. So I want to ask you this next question, and I always frame this as an equity question because I know everyone always answers it in a way that that's their perspective, that's their journey. So first of all, if you're comfortable sharing, what ethnicity is your child? And do you feel like this impacted an equitable educational journey for him? Sure. We're white, but we're also Ashkenazi Jewish. So okay. I do identify that as an ethnicity, not just a religion. So it's a really important part of our experience because we, you know, as religious people, like we wanted our children to go to a Jewish day school, and there's a number of them in the area here. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of expected in our um, in our community that would happen, and that's part of the whole community aspect of things, you know, to, in order to fit in sort of in our community, really. That's kind of the norm. <laughs> right. But unfortunately, the schools were really not very open to students that have learning differences. So we had to really go outside of our comfort zone and our culture, really, to find the right school for him, schooling environment. It's really challenging. Yeah. Emotionally, too, right? Emotionally, right. To think, oh, like, you're part of this community. Right. You're not 
fitting in and you feel different and you're not accepted. That's really, it's really, really hard, really, really hard. So do you feel that, because I know this area does have a lot of Jewish day schools. Do you feel that it's just there, the teachers aren't equipped? And please correct me if I'm wrong. Are most of the teachers in these schools Jewish themselves? What does that community look like to be in a position to discriminate? Is it literally lack of knowledge, lack of teacher prep? I'm really curious. Yeah, I would say the majority are Jewish. Okay. You know, certainly there are what, there's teachers that are not Jewish, but, you know, the administration is Jewish. Sure. And, you know, I don't like to judge their religion by how people act, you know. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, so I would say that probably it's somewhat lack of resources, somewhat just not having maybe the background, like, as in, like, a lot of private schools, the teachers don't necessarily have the same kind of training as they do in public school. You know, they're required to have an education degree in, in a public school, and here we are in, you know, a private school, and so I would say that's kind of typical of a lot of more, you know, sort of more schools that are serving more neurotypical kids, that they just don't have the education background needed. I think they just don't know how to support these kids, and to be honest, I just think that they really are not putting an emphasis on that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're kind of expecting people to sort of be, and go with, you know, you have to fit these standards. And right. I really do think the box is very small. And it's really unfortunate. I know a lot of other families in the situation that have had a lot of difficulty in the Jewish day schools, at least in this area. Yeah. And I think, you know, to touch on the Black community, I know we don't really talk about learning disabilities in a free space to feel like it's not a stigma. I mean, obviously, they're HBCUs that are colleges, but let's just say if there were private schools just focused on serving Black students, I feel like that would be a similar issue as well, where it's almost frowned upon to be like, oh, you're fine, or Uncle so-and-so had that issue and they overcame it, when really it's like, no, we need to be equipped. We need to really not shame. We need to not look down upon someone because they viewed the world differently. And honestly, that's why I say this work exists for me. I think dyslexia exists. This podcast exists. Not every kid is going to fit in this box of this is this curriculum for this school district. And, you know, this child needs to sit and do X, Y, and Z. So just kind of hearing your journey in the Jewish community for schools, I think that, you know, this parallels with so many different communities. Obviously, I can only speak from my own being a Black woman, but I see a lot of parallels. I would definitely agree with that. I think that there is a stigma and shame. It's not something people talk about because I do serve a lot of Jewish families. When people come to me, they know me right. in the community. And I will say, like, I work with a lot of people in my local Jewish community. And they all think that they're alone. They think they're the only one. Right. In silos. <laughs> and they're not. Yeah. No, it's not true. And, and right, there's such a stigma. People don't talk about it. And they may have, like, a lot of people have a lot of kids. So mm-hmm. they might have five kids, and then one kid is, you know, kind of different. <laughs> different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what's wrong with him? All the other four are fine. <laughs> right. Well, actually, it makes sense because I think something like one out of four or five kids in general or people have some kind of right. neuro difference. So, right, right. Sense, but, um, No, and I'm glad that we're having this conversation because this is now being talked about. And so if there are any folks out there who are listening that are Jewish, please know you're not alone. And if you're in the area, then perhaps you can link up with Stephanie. So Stephanie, we're coming to the last question before you can share how people can contact you. 
What advice can you give? So this can be from both the mom lens, the advocate, or both. But what advice can you give to other moms in this journey so they can really boss up? Yes, I would definitely say advocate, advocate, and advocate more. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, right? Just the education (laughs) perspective of it. (laughs) So I would say that because you you are your child's best advocate. No one's going to love, no one's going to care about your child as much as you do. Right. As we have dedicated educational professionals out there, you know, you are the one that is going to need to do it, even though it's hard, even though, you know, you have to come up against educators need you. I know a lot of people feel guilty, you know, they think, oh, teachers work so hard and they do, but, you know, it's your job, you know, not, not worry as much about the educators involved and you worry about your child because that's, that is your job is to advocate for your child. Right. And also, I would just say, like, also find good people to help you. Mm-hmm. Network. Look for the, you know, the best, you know, therapists, advocates, evaluators. Yes, I was going to say that. Tutors, you know, whoever can read, you look for the best and the people that can really help you along the way. Yeah. I think that was great advice. And I think that more than often, I have found in this podcast journey interviewing moms, but also just in my educational journey meeting with parents, especially in public school, because when I was at specialized private schools, that was its own silo of parents being like, I'm paying a specific tuition for a specific type of education. But oftentimes parents don't really know how to advocate or they'll say, oh, well, I'm annoying my kid's teacher. Or it could be on the other end where they're just so angry because they're not getting their support or they're not getting their questions answered. And I really, truly feel that if we could educate both parents and teachers, it won't be so adversarial. And I know there's so much red tape, especially in public school with IEPs and you know lack of teacher knowledge, lack of teacher administration, really understanding the severity of why we need certain things put in place. And I recognize that. I've seen it with my own eyes working in public school and also just taking a step back doing professional developments with school districts. But I just really, truly feel at the heart of it, we can definitely educate both parties because really at the end of the day, I always say parents want nothing but the best for their kids and teachers genuinely go into education to inspire and motivate, not to make parents angry and say they don't care about teaching a child. It's just that we've gotten there because of lack of knowledge and discussion and basically what we're doing now. I would agree with that. I told you I started out as a teacher and then I didn't know anything about this. But yeah. I think you're right. People really do go into the field with a really good heart and they, they do. want to do right by kids and they just don't have the training. They don't. They don't. And I always use the analogy of you have a rotten tooth, you're going to go to the dentist and you know when you walk in the dentist's office, they're going to tell you what the problem is. They're going to diagnose it and they're going to fix it and you're going to walk out a happy customer. But with teachers, we aren't trained to know exactly how to identify this, that, and whatever. And as a special educator, it dawned on me probably five years ago, which is crazy because I've been doing this for like 11 years, but it dawned on me five years ago that I was like, wait a second, medical doctors specialize. They go to med school, they go to their residency. And if they want even more specialization, they go back to school. We go to school if you're in special ed, because I have a dual master's in elementary and special ed. I didn't take five years on dyslexia. I didn't even have a dyslexia course. So all of a sudden I'm plopped in public school and I'm supposed to know how to teach kids that have cerebral palsy and autism. It's really fascinating when you think about that. And it's a tall order. (laughs) It is. You're 
like even as a special educator, yes. Yeah. Because I know as a general education teacher, you're you I mean you're clearly expected to know how to deal with this stuff also. But yeah, you're saying even more so as a. And I had no idea how you know, nobody does. You know, we don't get training. But um, yeah, so even as a special educator, you're not getting that special. Education. No, you're not. You have to go out and do your own growth and professional development. And I happened to start my career in a private dyslexic school, and that's what brought me where I am today. Otherwise. I definitely didn't learn anything about any of these learning disabilities, such as dyslexia, dysgraphia, and dyscalculia. So I just think, you know, bottom line, I just went on a rant. I really feel like if we can educate both parents and educators and hopefully administrators and really work the way up the totem pole of the stakeholders, then maybe we can start seeing some change. But I know that's a tall order. And work you're doing is in that direction so yes thank you and, and you as well appreciate you for doing all that yeah of course and you as well so stephanie we're coming to the end please let us know where can we find you i'm going to put all this in the show notes but just do a little elevator pitch <laughs> sure yes yeah, so my company is exceptional educational solutions and my website is exceptional educational solutions.com i'm an educational consultant. i do primarily work with a twice exceptional population and i help people find Whatever school fit will be best for them, like whether that's public school with IEP, their 504, that could be the right private school, it could be the right, you know, they put it together your home school, it could be an online school, kind of like, you know, I really just try to individualize it to the individual family to see what it is that they need, what the kid needs, and help them thrive and succeed. That's my goal. Yeah, I love that. So, everyone, please view the show links and Stephanie's website and all of that good stuff will be linked there. And if you're in the area, please feel free to contact her and check out her services. And as I always say, please pass along this episode or any other episode that you feel like really resonated with you because together we can change the narrative. So thank you so much, Stephanie, for being on this episode today. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.